This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley. I'm joined, as always, by one of my, I guess, two to three good friends in this world. It's Nate. What's up, Nate? Hello, Aaron. Uh, Thank you very much for including me among your uh, two to three good friends. Uh, you might offend some other friends of ours in the DM. I don't know if you thought about that because there's more than two to three people in there. Yikes. Um, yeah. Gonna, gonna be uh, scenes when they hear this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nothing up with me. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna quantify my number of good friends. You're also not going to try to take any of that heat off of me, which I appreciate. No. Yeah. I, uh, well, you know, I, it's something I, when you leave yourself open like that, yeah, I just have uh, my rhetorical training just has sharpened my you know attack instincts. Where I just want to put the screws to you, and uh, sure, you know, just too many too many open opportunities. I think. Yeah, I probably didn't go about that the best way. I, of course, uh, everyone who I'm in a DM with, I love dearly. Obviously. Well, I know that's not true. That's for sure a lie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody, I'm in a specific DM with. I love dearly. <laughs> You see, okay. that's the way you want to do this, because then you get people wondering if there's more DMs that you care about people more. That's right. Than, yeah, you keep that's them right. Those. Okay. All right. I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Also joined by another one <laughs> of my very good friends, one of my closest friends in the world. It's Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Oh, wow. I got the closest friends in the world appellation. Now people are going to try to further. I noticed that. Don't yeah, think yeah. I didn't notice that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, this episode 70 is just clowning on Aaron for a good five minutes. Uh, <laughs> that's what the show is. Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Aaron Mike Spears. Uh, I exist just as much as I did last week. Take it as you will. But I'm doing all right. You know, I've had a, a very productive week. I feel like that I'm clogging up the VOW feeds this week, but it's been fun, you know, and I'm glad to get back with y'all and kind of chop it up with some knuckleheads. Let's do this. <laughs> Is there something on the VOW feed that you put out recently that you want to plug, Mike? Oh, I I, I refuse to to paint her on this, but yeah, go listen to the, uh, the most recent Open the Voice Gate where Case and I got a chance to talk with the uh, histor- like the historically relevant and Dragon Gate, one of Dragon Gate's official English commentators, Jay. It was a whole lot of fun. And you can hear stories about exorcisms, who loves trains, uh, writing at a middle school level. It just gets wild. And it has a good take from someone who's working for a Japanese company about how the wrestling industry kind of is dealing with uh with the uh what do they call in wwe the mitigating circumstances is that what they call it the 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 situ- how J- the japanese wrestling scene from the inside seems like it's dealing with covid so yeah that was really cool but i'm just excited to be back with two of my good friends i, I i'm not gonna i'm not gonna buck myself in here and and i'm not like any great linguist so that that'll screw me up if i fuck myself over that way but yeah let's get going yeah, I fucked up real good. I'm not, <laughs> not really planning what I was going to say or ever planning what I'm going to say. This is why before. I say the same things. Yeah, you're right. I thought 
I had something in my head of a way I wanted to switch up my introduction this week, and I couldn't remember it as I was going, and it just it got away from me. Fuck yeah, no that 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 sucks. Yeah, yeah, I fucked it up. That's okay. If you want to see things that I fuck up even worse, make sure you follow us on Twitter at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji Heya. Subscribe to this podcast, please. You can find us at uh, just search Everything Elite on the podcast app of your choice, or we're part of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. If you're on the podcast app, the Apple app, give us a rating and review. And please, if you want more Everything Elite content, check out patreon.com slash everything elite. It's almost, well, by the time you're hearing this, it's probably May. So it's a new month. You're going to want to subscribe. Double or Nothing is happening this month, so we'll have a Double or Nothing instant reaction show this month. So lots of good things coming in May. We'll talk about that a little later in the show. On this show, we're going to play Elite or Delete. We're going to run down Dynamite, talk about ratings. I want to start with a little discussion of AW announcing that they're going back live and a little bit on Double or Nothing. So I think that's kind of where I want to begin AEW, we started to hear it from Dave Meltzer, I believe, that AEW was planning on kind of going on a two-week schedule where they would be live one week and, and tape the next week, and that's starting. And then John Moxley said in his pre-tape promo on the show last night that AEW is going back live. So all that is official. Uh, the question is, is it a good idea? So, Nate, what do you think about AEW going back live with Dynamite? No, not a good idea. Uh, you know, when the when Meltzer first reported this in the Observer, I tweeted a couple times about it. Our position on this show has been pretty consistent. Uh, they shouldn't have done the shows that they did after the pandemic started and, and states were shutting down. Uh, they certainly should not be going and doing more traveling and more taping uh, in the current context, especially because. We believe they taped eight weeks in the first place. So we think they have more stuff in the can that they could just put on TV. But uh, that apparently is not satisfactory to them in some way, even though it's not going to make any difference to the fans, whether it's live or not, because you're still not going to have a crowd. So if you're not going to have a crowd, what's the point? It, it, you're taking on a whole bunch of risk for you know, very little to no benefit. I guess their benefit is they can get some more wrestlers on these shows that they didn't have at the tapings uh, and they can, you know, uh, 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 course correct toward the build toward double or nothing here. But yeah, I, you know, uh, the John Moxley promo on the show is really good, but when he says, Hey, call your grandmother, you know, she's, <laughs> you know, at risk of dying from this disease uh, rings a little false, but it's like, but Hey, we're all going to go get on planes and go congregate together for this period of time and then go get on planes again and go back home and, uh, you know, just increase the risk of however many more people being in proximity to the disease that are necessary. Yeah, like, Nate, some of the preposition, this is bad, this is dumb. They apparently had enough tape, which tells me just my interpretation of the situation, that this isn't necessarily an AEW decision solely. This makes me think, and this also will play into when we're talking about double or nothing announcing their price point. You know, when you're, when, when at my estimation, about 85, 90% of your revenue comes from one place, you're kind of beholden to them. If they say, jump, you already, you already answer, okay, how high am I jumping for you? So this sucks. Like, it, it's it's bad, it's lame, it's not going to have, I don't think it's going to have a quantifiable effect in ratings. It's just 
seems like this is something that they're going to do and i don't think it's good so yeah yeah that so that would have been my conclusion also uh because that was sort of the conclusion we were led to with wwe going back to Mm -hmm. live broadcasts like oh hey you know it would make sense if the networks that had these television contracts were necessitating some amount of live shows of course as we discussed on this show for you know like half a year or whatever the whole point of starting a wrestling promotion is that there was a big hunger in television for live content that would be DVR proof or whatever. So that does make sense, but they're not going live every week. They're going live and taped and live and taped or whatever it is. So it doesn't seem like they're up against the limit if they're continuing to tape some shows. Uh, you know, maybe the pay-per-view is different because the pay-per-view, you know, we know they had a quarterly deal within demand to do four shows a year or whatever. So they, they need to meet that obligation. They didn't tape that show. You know, you at least see the economic uh, uh, purpose of doing that and right. going and doing another show for that, even though, you know, you know, economics are fake or whatever. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, they've already got stuff in the can. This would go down a lot more smoothly if they just waited till double or nothing, did double or nothing live and then did another round of tapings. Like that's at the very end of the month. We're that much further into the timeline of, uh, uh, you know, risk of transmission and flattening the curve etc so but you know that, that's not the choice they made so this is what we're dealing with yeah i'm willing to assume that they've used everything that they they taped at the last tapings not not what dave said melter said it was his understanding they had eight weeks in the can so maybe he's incorrect but you know what <laughs> we have reason to believe he you know probably has that sourced pretty highly there yeah i think that's fair uh the only point i was going to make is Let's imagine that they have to get back together this week. Now, this is all, of course, going from our starting point that none of the shows should happen. So I feel like I don't have to repeat that. But let's assume that they still decided they need to do more tapings. I don't see why they can't get together and put eight more weeks or at least four more weeks uh, in the can. Because you're right. It's nice to have some new wrestlers. I mean, for me, as someone who has to watch the show every week, it'll be nice to have some new faces on the show. But uh, A, it's not nice enough for all the reasons that Nate mentioned, because there's this idea that if you do a two week schedule, that it makes everybody safe. You show up and then you, if you stay away for two weeks, then, you know, that's quarantining. And like, that's just a complete misunderstanding of how this all works because and even it's not if, really two weeks, because right? You're going to film and then whatever else they're going to film the next day. And then you're going to fly back out. You're going to be at home maybe 10 days of this. Right. So you're not getting the full 14-day quarantine regardless. Let, let's Now, I'm assuming some of these people are going to fly. And that opens yeah. up a whole can of worms. But even if you have people who are driving back and forth, they still have to interact with people at times who aren't just the wrestlers that they're coming in contact with at the shows. So it's bad. Now, the Turner side of it, if Turner is driving the boat here, I really don't understand it. There's no evidence that the live shows uh, on WWE's part have done better than the tape shows. We'll see if this show does better, although it's going to be hard to draw too many conclusions from it because Jericho and Cody and Omega are all going to be on the show, you know, so there's a lot of other reasons for people to tune in. But the way that they had the closed set and, and spoilers didn't get out, there was really no difference, as we discussed on this show, between live shows and tape shows. So I don't get that. And maybe worst of all, I'm not more excited to watch this show because it's live. 
Nothing changes until a crowd is back at these shows. It, this isn't going to get better until that happens. So I, if you're going to do the shows at all, they got to just do long sets of tapings, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dave also discussed, uh, I think, professional bull riding did a show recently. And the way they did that was basically they brought in all their competitors, whatever, had them sequestered in like trailers, all living in trailers at this location for two weeks. And, you know, that's basically the way you have to do it with sports. That's the way Major League Baseball is like they're going to move everybody to Arizona. They're going to have a little confined community of people that are quarantined. And then after however long, then they can start doing their baseball season. Right. And that's theoretically they're not interact. They're not flying week to week. They're all staying in this quarantined confined community of people that they know have been quarantined and are not exposed to disease that's and like fi- theoretically the right way to do it yeah fight island too fight island yeah they're bringing them over quarantining everybody and then you know testing everybody again they shouldn't be doing it either obviously but th- those are like the best 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 practices for doing it if you're going to do it for wrestling for AEW, does not appear to be the case you're basically as exposed as the dumbest person that you're in proximity to and you look at like uh, Sammy Guevara's vlog this week was like, oh, hey, we're going to drive to Austin. And here's us at a gas station in the middle of the pandemic wrestling at the gas station. So if you're at this taping with Sammy Guevara, you're, you know, you're in proximity to whatever he's picked up and might be carrying over the last however many hours. And after you do your two tapings, you're all going to go your separate ways. And who knows what the fuck anybody's doing. So, you know, just doesn't inspire a whole lot of confidence because you're not looking at a sequestered community of every baseball player in their trailer uh you know quarantined you're looking at a bunch of dumbass wrestlers basically and as a friend of the show ryback pointed out you know every unionized sport is not playing they're sitting at home until they can figure out something that's actually safe and the unions you best believe aren't going to sign off on any sort of thing until they believe that the league has put up best practices which is the other side of that coin. Absolutely. And so, you know, the wrestlers really don't have much of a choice here. You know, there's this bullshit about, oh, it won't hurt your your push if you decide you don't want to work uh, the tapings or the live shows. But, I mean, I don't buy that. Uh, even if Tony Khan doesn't mean to do it. Yeah, it, it's, it's going to be bias. Of your mind. Yeah, it's just inherent bias for that, right? Like, right. you're going to have, like, someone that, like, if you don't show up for like one of these periods that's two weeks of TV or off where someone else will be on TV for those two weeks. And it's not anything that, because now we know that apparently Tony Khan was the one who wrote this last month's of TV. It's not anything that I bet he's like cognizant of, or he's going to be like negative about, but there's just inherent biases of, Oh, this person was on TV. I could kind of string these things out more so than someone who opts out for their own safety. Like there can be, I mean, you'd be damned by good intentions with it. So yeah, it's just like, and, and, and the thing about the Major League Baseball thing that Nate brought up, that was like the thing that they announced at the height of like two months ago. We're like, okay, this is how we get things on track. Now it's completely deviated so far away. Uh, racing has basically said, we're going to do all these races, at least with NASCAR, within the driving bases of most places home camp. And we're just going to have the idea that they're going to drive there, do the races, go home, drive there, do the races, go home for like a month. And it's just one of those things that, the reality of the, of the situation is, is if you're going to go best practices, nothing, nothing. And it's just like now it's just all harm mitigation. And it does not seem like to me from what is known and what they make available for people to know. We have not heard like what their medical practices are about this. 
we don't know if everyone at these tapings, like we assume no one was sick, no one was reported as sick, but we don't know if everyone's getting tested. We don't know if they're like doing temperature tests. We don't know if they have some of those new quick action tests. Like there's just certain ways that you can try to mitigate harm so much, but unless all of it is out in the open about these kind of tapings, if you're going this route, the question will still remain. And it's a question I think that should be raised on anyone is what are your medical practices going to be with this? The other thing we found out this week about upcoming AW shows is that Double or Nothing on pay-per-view in front of no fans is going to retain the $50 price point from their other pay-per-views. I know there was some discussion about whether they would lower this price because of the fact that it would be such a different show. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on retaining the $50 price point? They can't change the $50 price point. That's not a price that they make. That's a price that in demand probably dictated to them. And because of where they are and they're leveraging, it sucks. Like, but it's how it is. Like you made that bet. You're doing the four events as Nate brought up earlier, the of the increase of the in-demand deal. That's going to be that they're saying the prices and it's going to be like that. And the idea of cutting, cutting the cost because it's taped or whatever, the, uh, the profit margin difference, like for them to like make up however much they would need to make up for it. You would have to be getting like so such a high level of TV to pay-per-view conversion rates, which is AEW does decent. This I, I did some of the math about this today. AEW is good at converting from TV viewers to at least from what we know as the mass pay-per-view audiences. You can't cut the costs and have some sort of expectation that you're going to be able to basically they have to double their buys. And that's just not if they if they had that thing, that that kind of ratio. We're talking about UFC Ultimate Fighter 3 going into a Chuckle, not Chuckle Dell, uh, Ken Shamrock and Tito Ortiz show, which was one of the one of their best shows that they had and by rate wise. So it sucks. Like honestly, it's going fifty dollars from the outset was something that we had a conversation about last year. But this is the world they live in. And I think that they, there's always room for like conversation about it, but it's just like expecting them because it's not live to make the magnanimous chance to cut to twenty dollars. I don't think that's a decision that AEW is allowed to make. I'm not changing it anyway, if I'm them. I mean, I've set my value at 50 bucks. And if I cut that to 20 bucks this month, I think it just makes it a lot harder to swallow paying 50 bucks the next time around. So it's not something I'd be willing to do. Now, even if they can, and you're probably right, Mike, that they can't. Now they could do something as far as, you know, you prove to us that you bought double or nothing and we'll send you a something. A raft, an inflatable raft? They could send an inflatable raft. That'd be good. WCW, you know, get your get your <laughs> boat on cable. Send us the bill, and we'll send you a Hulk Hogan inflatable raft. That's send, a great idea. Send a Hardy compound boat. <laughs> Let's get the tie-in all the way up to date. Pixelated boat. Yeah, the, the dilapidated. Dilapidated boat. Yeah. I was thinking of the, the uh, Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. Okay, well that's. Uh, the discourse that's going on. Let's let's get <laughs> in the discourse. <laughs> yeah, that's our that's the new segment called the discourse. Mike, I'm sure we'll come up with a great drop for the discourse. Oh, give me some time and I'll find something great. <laughs> we need like a Cronkite voice on that one, Mike. This is the discourse. Actually, you know who you know who should do the voiceovers. We need to see if we get Tom Saxon of the Trillville to do all the the, the uh, voiceovers for us, just because like. You have that syrupy voice in there saying, welcome to the discourse. I we think that's perfect. Have you seen their patron numbers? We can't afford Tom Sexton. <sighs> one day. One Maybe day. Maybe I'll get the Kentucky boy discount. We'll see if we can. <laughs>
we're from like the same town. Basically. Yeah, I mean, aren't oh. you from the same county, same holler? Yep, yep. pretty the same holler, pretty much. Probably related somewhere down the line. All right, that's enough uh, Kentucky backroad shit. Let's get into elite or delete. Delete, elite, delete, elite. All right, so elite or delete, it's a little game we like to play on this show where basically we talk about what was good and what was bad on this episode of Dynamite. So, Nate, customarily, I start with you. So tell me, what was your elite pick from this episode? My elite pick is the booking of this TNT title tournament. Uh, not coincidentally, I do believe it perfectly matches my predicted booking that we did a number of weeks ago, uh, building, of course, to the big match that they've been pushing all along, Cody versus Lance Archer at the pay-per-view. That's what you do in wrestling is you make one of people want to see the match, and then you build up to the match, and you have them collide, and they're doing it at the pay-per-view, and that's how you get people to want to see a match and then pay to see the match. It's pro wrestling. And it worked. And they did it. You know, they had Lance Archer go through <clears throat> Colt Cabana, who was undefeated in the turn in the promotion to this point. And then in, on this show, he beat the shit out of Dustin Rhodes, left him bloody, and that set him up with the collision course for Cody, his brother. Um, also want to give a special shout out to just Cody's uh repeated attempts to revive towel throwing in pro wrestling. Uh even going back to, you know, his time in New Japan, uh just was all about the the drama of somebody wanting to throw on the towel because somebody else was getting beaten up so bad uh, and brought it up again here to pretty good effect. So all built well and is leading toward the peak of Cody versus Lance Archer. Hopefully I'm proven correct yet again. And Lance Archer wins the belt at this show. I would like to congratulate you on winning the bracket that I forgot that all my predictions, I think I was, me and you were tied leading up to this match because we because AB and I were flip flopping about uh, Cody versus Sean Spears, and you had Nate, you had Cody in the finals. I had Darby in the finals. I believe that was the finals for this. But so congratulations, Arn Sorty, for this. Uh, Actually, I'm pretty sure I got them all right too. <laughs> okay, no, okay, you were you were insistent that that Cody was not going to be in the finals. No, I don't I don't recall that. Actually, you were saying you thought Darby would be in the finals. <laughs> I no, mean, I, 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 no, I, I Cody. I said Cody is going to be in the finals. Cody. What I said. Sure okay, thing. This is sure uh, thing. a poor attempt at gaslighting. You have to do better than that. Yeah, because unlike me, who has a bird brain, Nate actually has memory. So you could probably get away with that with me. But with <laughs> Nate, you have to wake up pretty early to get Nate with that. But yeah. Not that early, just just earlier than 6 p.m. It's got to be like <laughs> 5.45, you're good to go. Uh, even 3 p.m. Like you can probably get it past me then. But now I'm like, you know, I've had my seven up. I'm ready to go. Yeah, but... The closing image and the closing like bit of Archer and Dustin was such like the the match in of itself. Like I saw what they were going to do, and then kind of checked out. But then like the, when it came back from that last commercial, like Dustin had already been bleeding. He ripped off the turnbuckle pad, smashed his face into the turnbuckle pad. You had not only uh, Brandy but QT want to throw in the towel. Then Cody comes out and tries to pull the towel away, throws it away, and, and then basically Lance Archer smirks and does the uh, everybody dies claw for Penn, like basically crushing his head even more. Great visual image, and you know they were building this up uh, pretty much since uh, Archer's debut for the last two months, and you know that 
they're giving everyone the satisfying payoff one way or the other. So I think that not changing their mind halfway through the tournament, good for them. Well, I'm not sure they had a chance to change their mind. Right, yeah. I, I mean, that's true. They, they were pot committed pretty much. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I pretty much agree as far as, you know, Cody and, and Lance was, uh, you know, teased from Lance's even before Lance showed up. So that makes sense. I'm glad they delivered on it. I'm also, it's like impressive that they were able to do enough in the Cody Darby buildup that you could buy Darby winning the match, even if, you know, we were pretty clear on light that we thought Cody would still win, but there was just that little seed that they had planted. That was pretty nice. They did a pretty good job with that. So yeah, I agree. Mike, your elite pick of the week. All right. I'm going to talk about something that I feel like we've touched on a lot, but on this episode, he did a really great job of this. And this is the absurdism of Chris Jericho and his understanding of the pop culture zeitgeist. Because when he had the bubbly bunch wanting to have a Manitoba, it was like a Manitoba relay where they all were just melee, uh, melee. melee. What did I have relay put in there? I just heard things wrong when I took my notes. My bad. And you went in and you had people like Corey Taylor show up from Slipknot. The guy who was on the uh, jet ski from uh, from Tiger King and just like being able to like pick people like, all right, having Vicky Guerrero in this made perfect sense because of how Vicky Guerrero is like viewed within like the pro wrestling zeitgeist. And it's just another like example of like this, the flim flam making joke of how everyone was doing TikToks at home because they had nothing else to do. For a guy who is Chris Jericho's age, he has a better like understanding of pop culture zeitgeist and the pop culture sense of humor like you would think that I don't think that he's completely with it. I don't think he's like a zoomer knowing like immediately everything, but he's someone that more so than like anyone else in wrestling. I think he understands like, how do I pull these references and pull the right references? How do I get something that I did over? I mean, Jesus Christ, he made a hit, an offhanded comment he made about champagne ended up being like the big thing across the, at least like my side of Twitter and like making merchandise off for six months. So I feel like it's just something on a show that, there was a lot of things on the show that were good and something that were like kind of, eh. this was like the one that stuck out with me is Chris Jericho's understanding and implementation of the pop culture zeitgeist. Yeah. Manitoba melee was great. Uh, it was definitely the best bubbly bunch segment so far that they've done, I think. And yeah, you know, I don't know if I want to credit Jericho with it entirely. Like I, I called Guevara a dumbass earlier. So He's a guy who has a very uh, keen understanding of like YouTube and youth culture and all that stuff. And he's, I don't know, 22 or whatever the fuck. So, you know, I, I would believe that he's like, hey, Chris, I've got an idea for our Bubby Bunch segment. Like that computes. But that the most resembled what I understand TikTok videos to actually be like, you know, when uh, Taylor Lorenz shows a bunch on her timeline or whatever. And I'm like, okay, this is what they're doing now. I guess I get it. This was like, oh, yeah, this fits in perfectly with those. And just throwing in a bunch of random cameos. Lou Ferrigno with the taser for no reason was pretty fun. They had Duff McKagan in there, of course, famous for the Duff McKagan joke of the week. So that brings me to, let's throw it to you, Aaron Bentley, the joke of the week, please. I mean, you really shouldn't put me on the spot for the joke of the week. I mean, it's... That's, it's a, that's the joke, because <laughs> I put you on the spot and then you have nothing. It's an organic thing. Okay. Really? Uh, but I'll try to come back to it. Thank you. Well, I got a little joke for you. How about this? Okay. For my elite pick of the week, the joke is, it's not a joke. I'm picking Jimmy Havoc. Yeah. So I have shit on Jimmy Havoc probably more than he's had like actual time on the shows up until the pandemic, at least. He's been on the show a lot recently. But like last week 
or whatever the last Jimmy Havoc match was, I was like, huh, that was kind of good. Orange Cassidy. Oh, yeah, that was good. Then he was on Dark and he had the little six-minute match with Sean Dean. And I was like, huh, that was kind of good. I don't know if you heard, Aaron, but I put him over on Light as well uh, in his uh, appearance on the Sammy Guevara vlog. Oh, boy, I, I listen to Light every week just to hear. I don't listen to the whole episode. I fast forward to your part because I've already heard mine and Mike's part. So, yes. So then I, I went ahead and said on Light that I thought maybe Jimmy Havoc was good now. And I was pretty concerned going into the Dynamite episode that that theory would be tested. But he was good again. This match was good again. So I just, you know, I'm a, I'm a magnanimous person. Uh, when I get something wrong, I don't think I got this wrong, actually. I think Jimmy Havoc listened <laughs> to the criticism that I gave. He internalized it, and he came out better on the other side. And now he's good. Yeah, if, uh, if you don't listen to Light on our Patreon, his segment on the Sammy Guevara vlog was basically beating up a dummy with a chair because this is how he trains. You know, he doesn't do cardio or lifting or whatever. He just hits shit with a chair. And uh, yeah, I came to the same conclusion. I was like, you know, maybe it's just all my headcanon and my own little internal jokes or our little jokes about Jimmy Havoc on this podcast. But uh, it's kind of uh, just making, you know, I I'm uh, entertained when I see him now. And this match was just a good time of a plunder match, especially as much as one as you could really do right now. There were there were three Stooges spots in there. We had uh, Trent really like committing self-harm when some of the spots he was willing to take with that. Uh, Orange Cassidy was used pretty effectively and as well as Penelope Ford. I feel like that they used the seconds in a really strong way. The one thing I have to say is they did the best friend's hug while he was like down on his knees. If he's a true heel, what do you do? You do a double O blow right there. It's a no DQ match. Like if you would have done that, that would have had me full on not just Jimmy Havoc being good now. Jimmy Havoc's actually pretty great if he pulled off that one because that's a certain thing that an opportunity missed there. But yeah, no, Jimmy Havoc is as the more that they've had him around, the more I think they've kind of molded the character, especially away from the staple gun guy, like staple gunning a check to the wall because he was paying his fine for using the staple gun instead of just being like the uh moody weird roommate of two lovebirds is just kind of a great bit i like it yeah i think uh, i think it does him well to get away from the high goth with the giant my chemical romance coat or afi whatever the fuck and like just go full fc no, not fcw fip go full fip with it and just be like the weird basement uncle yeah i uh, also do want to shout out uh deathmatch dustin here uh you know when Dustin and Trent left New Japan, but they were still on those New Japan US shows. Dustin got uh, a bunch of accolades because he went out and killed himself in a match with David Fenley, even though he wasn't going to be working with the company anymore. Uh, and I was like, wow, man, they really went for it there. But it was like, yeah, he did the same thing here, but there was no crowd whatsoever. Just they, everybody went out and killed each other with, you know, zero people watching. So kind of, I mean, you know, 700,000 people watching, I guess, technically, but, you know, it, uh, yeah the you know the live crowd is is what counts i think yeah i mean he is probably one of the low-key great plunder hardcore guys of this generation and i think people need to recognize that deathmask dustin is awesome i mean he had that the the zack saber jr pwg match that kind of turned into a hardcore match the he had like this crazy good one with what matt riddle and evolve like the two of them like <laughs> buddy let me tell you about his evolve run as all caps, Dustin. Dustin, yes. I mean, I'm not really going to tell you about well, it. Well, I, I stopped saying that, but yeah, no, no. <laughs> this was just like... It was good. That was it. It was good. Yeah, this was good. 
Yeah, he did. Uh, he did plunder matches. That's it. That was that was the point. He was like uh, angry. You know, it was fun. Okay, well, let's talk about uh, some bad things. Let's delete some things. Nate, what would you have deleted from this episode? Uh, I guess. You know, I, I wasn't super high on a bunch of the matches. I know uh, Meltzer said this is his favorite show throughout the pandemic to this point. Uh, and I know a lot of people were high on the Cody Darby match. We're high on the Archer Dustin match. Uh, we're super high on the hardcore match that we just discussed. Uh, I, for what I, I it might have just been my own, you know, what I brought to the show that day and the mood I was in when I sat down to watch it. I, I just didn't get super high on it. But anyway, what I will delete is. The main event being a unannounced Cracker Barrel clash and having, I mean, again, this is nitpicking that we've done a hundred times, but there, there was no disqualification apparently without this being announced. There was the turnbuckle spot and uh, also the Shattered Dreams, which to my understanding is a kick to the penis, was not ruled a disqualification. And Aubrey Edwards is just like, yep, nope, good move, Dustin. Those were executed. Uh, so that, that, that chafed me here. That's fair. I, I mean, I kind of hated the whole match. I feel like I was on an island on that. Um, because people most... really seem to like all the wrestling on this show, and I, I don't know for what I maybe it's just the no crowd thing, you know, for six weeks in a row, whatever. But uh, you know, nothing really grabbed me. I think it was anticipation because we like looked at this card and how awesome Lance Archer has been in his matches. We we knew that Darby and Cody had the storyline coming in, so we thought this would be like a big kind of match like this, and it just was a decent show with a couple matches that. I have questions about and like the main event, which I get that they're trying to do like a Tennessee walk and talk match and do like, like brawling with that. But 25 minutes for that kind of match really did not need to be. And that was a match that I think like dragged. So I get why some people might have liked the show more, more so than in the other ones that they've done during COVID, but this it wasn't that for me. I'm with you there. Well, I might as well just, I'm going to go ahead and make my, um, my delete because it's, we were kind of talking about it and it's going to be unpopular. I would delete the Cody Darby match. I hated it. I thought it was bad. And here's the reason why. Nothing. Okay, so the story coming into this match was, if you watch all the content, was Cody didn't think Darby was championship material. Darby thought Cody represented everything that's that's bad about the company in a way. He's a suit and tie guy, you know, and Darby's not that. So we had that story, that clash of of ideas going on in this match. Also, of course, we have that they drew one time and then Cody won when Arn Anderson warned him that that Darby was about to hit the coffin drop. So that's the story coming into the match. But the way it was worked didn't really play to any of that. So we start out with Darby's... Well, first of all, Cody does the knee thing, bridging up, which came out of nowhere and made no sense as far as any story that was being told. He hadn't talked about his knee lately. They didn't say on commentary, oh, that reconstructed knee. I mean, there was nothing about the knee. Darby starts breaking down the knee, you know, doing work on the leg over and over. Cody sells it occasionally, uh, but not great. Not in a way where he like, is the, the baby face who really has to come back at the end. That's what the roles are never really defined in the match. Then Cody gets mad because Darby hits Brandy. And so then he's got a little more fire. That doesn't really go anywhere. He shoves Cody, he shoves uh, 
Darby into Brandy. He sidesteps and he goes into Brandy. Yeah, th- yeah, that didn't work out very well. Then you got the weird Brandy spot with the water. That didn't really make any sense. Finally, the one thing that makes sense in the match is the idea of the finish. You know, they've built up that nobody's ever kicked out of the coffin drop. Uh, Arn, of course, played a role in Cody missing the, the coffin drop or, or countering the coffin drop. But then they the execution is really poor on the actual uh, on the actual finish where Darby hits it perfectly and then Cody just magically uh, rolls him up. So it's just no clearly defined roles in the match that made sense. Didn't make the finish compelling in a way. It's like not like oh yeah we're gonna see this thing that's coming. The anticipation's building and then like none of that. So uh, I just I just hated it. Not what I want out of these two. Yeah. Um... I'm pretty much with you. You know, I didn't hate the work so much, but like, so I'm going to respond to Meltzer again because I, I listened to this on my way um, or uh, uh, after work and it's fresh in my mind. He's saying, oh, you know, it's telling the story of Darby and Cody. They have this feud. That's really good feud. And, you know, Darby keeps getting closer and closer and, you know, eventually he's going to beat Cody. No, he's getting farther and further away from beating Cody. <laughs> he, he, you know, he lost. He, his first match with him was a draw and it was like, oh, Darby's on Cody's level. Shit. Okay. That's great. You kind of established Darby. I don't know that it meant a whole lot at that point because it, you know, uh, it's not like when it was like the second show of the company or whatever. So wins and losses weren't uh, paramount at that point. And we didn't know that Cody was going to be, you know, the top guy that he was. And also he's, you know, lost other matches since, but do this draw. Then you do the match where, you know, basically Arn bails Cody out and, you know, you kind of uh, protect Darby in that way. But, you know, ultimately the scoreboard is he, Cody got a clean pin on him. And here again, Cody gets a clean pin on him um, and halfway beat him with his own finish. Like the, the, he did the knees up thing to Darby's coffin drop. And then, or no, Darby did the knees up thing to his coffin drop. And then he does a coffin drop and pins him with it. Uh, I didn't get it. Yeah, I, I couldn't comprehend it. And the the macro trend of this is, Darby's getting further and further away from beating Cody at this point. And that's kind of the opposite thing of the story that you want to tell with Darby, which is where he's relentless and it, his drive and his motivation and effort and all that stuff makes him get closer and closer and closer and closer to his goal instead of the opposite. Yeah. That's kind of the thing that when I've heard like people say that this like worked on this, that did not really hold true to me because Unless you want to interpret that, oh, Cody needed Arn to win this match, and oh, Cody had a steel flash pen. Then make the flash pen look better. Like, y'all know how much I love a flash pen. Like, flash pens are some of the unique, like, simple delights of wrestling to me. Someone getting the pen out of nowhere and winning. Like, you had this in the can. You've had this editable. You had all the camera shots, so this wasn't like you picked the wrong shot there. There were a lot of ways they could have made this look like a better finish. Because the finish, to me, looked like dog shit. Like, so just to like straight, straight up, like, I understand, like, you have a short fraction of the thing, but this in theory was taped a month ago. Like, there was ways that they could have made this work a little better. Uh, the one character choice thing that I thought that was great in this match was the fact that, uh, I guess some moment, uh, Darby was like dealing with something with Aubrey Edwards. I think Aubrey was the referee in this match. I want to say it was, or whoever the referee was, and Cody was on the ringside. For, Britt, remembering how much she hates Brandy Rhodes, takes off her heel and smacks him in the face, which I thought was an excellent character choice in this match. But everything else you all say, I co-sign. I guess I'm the only one left with anything to delete. And uh, 
I'm deleting how long this Lance Archer and Dustin Rhodes match was. I mean, but the last segment of it, like when they came back for commercial going to the finish, I thought that was really effectively done. And we've talked about it before about how they really like set up Cody versus Lance Archer. But doing a walk and brawl for 20 minutes in front of no audience is just by now. I hope that everyone knows what should work in empty arenas and what shouldn't because the first two thirds of this match did not work for me at all. And it was really kind of just like paint by numbers. You could tell when Dustin was about to blade, there was like, no, there was like no surprises until you had the, the last segment of the match. And that really kind of bumped me out. Yeah, it was long. Um, you know, I, I had a, I was a little annoyed that they just like had Dustin kick out a whole bunch of shit, but ultimately that didn't, I guess bothered me because they wanted to, to tell it a different way that, oh, fucking, you know, Lance Archer is going to beat him down so thoroughly that you have to throw on the towel and that's how bad it's going to get here. So you kind of have to have him kick out of a, a bunch of finishers and stuff in order to tell that story. So, yeah, you know, they did tape these a while ago, so maybe they hadn't quite realized that the long matches are often death on these no crowd shows. Uh, so maybe give him a pass on that. But, yeah, I'm, I, I know what you mean. All right. Well, moving into the ratings from this week, a lot of a lot of flatness here in the ratings. AW down slightly to six hundred and ninety three thousand, but up in the demo from a point two five to a point two seven twenty fourth on cable. NXT uh, down a little, pretty flat. Also down to six hundred thirty seven fifty first in the demo at a point one six. Yeah. Uh, the the one thing that was kind of no- noticeable was that this day was at least since all this started happening, it, there was less, uh, there were less cable news programs in the cable top 50, which is something that they've been dominating so much. Uh, you still had like the, your shows that still are absolute killers up there for that. Uh, broadcast had a lot of reruns. The only stuff that was running uh, new episodes was survivor and masked, uh, masked dancer, mass singer. I always call it mass dancer, mass singer. Uh, but it's time for it to play a very quick game because sadly NXT was below 50th and the demographics. So we don't have the full breakdown from the time for an abbreviated demo game. All right. First off, I like picking out similarities here and that I say this is a game. These are more just like funny facts. I find AEW dynamite had the exact same rating score in people between 18 and 34 as guys grocery games at a 0.15. And as I've said before, not as good of a show as Supermarket Suite. Just want on record to certainly say. And there's not a lot of interesting and fun things we can search with NXT data, but they tied with the Daily Show, two Fox News shows, and then whatever deadly recall on information discovery is or investigation discovery. Have either of you heard of deadly recall before? Yeah, it's it's like a lot of other shows where, you know, it's a Jeopardy type thing where you're getting asked questions. But if you get the question wrong, they shoot you in the head. Oh, this is a bit. Okay. <laughs> there it was, folks. The Aaron Bentley joke of the hey! week has been deployed. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> Need fireworks to go off. Right? Boop, yeah. boop, boop, boop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that really got me. <laughs> That's my joke of the week. My ability to do a reggaeton horn with my mouth. <laughs> I should. Do, I'll do that after my jokes. Might be problematic. <laughs> He did the he did the horns. No, the brats. You think that's problematic? I think so. Okay, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm you know 
when Liv Morgan first debuted, she was doing those, and people were canceling her for being problematic. Oh, well, um, let me just say, Eric Stevens did did uh, no growth. So let's just focus on that. <laughs> Passing the buck. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's run down Dynamite. Let's go in depth on everything that occurred on the show, not just our favorite or least favorite things. Opened up with a video. We got Cody talking about Darby considering the draw a loss. So he's definitely getting farther away now if he if Cody lost the first match. Uh, Darby says he didn't lose to Cody. He lost to Arn. And here's where he talks about Cody representing suits and ties. Darby represents the opposite. And Cody says Darby isn't championship material. Boy, I guess Cody was right. Darby isn't championship material because Cody defeated Darby Allen uh, with the weird finish we talked about earlier. The one thing I wanted to say, Mike, you pointed out Britt hitting Cody with the uh, with the boot. And later Jericho says, uh, we'll never know who hit Cody with that shoe. And, and <laughs> Tony deadpans, unfortunately, I think we know. We're going to need some development on Tony and Britt this week. I mean, I feel like their friendship might be going over some uh, hard times. If yeah, well, we'll get to that. But a weird, a weird moment for uh, the the uh, Tony and Britt burgeoning friendship. Also, want to complain about yeah, just the, he's not championship material thing. Just reeks of WWE. Yeah, it it brings to mind, of course, the Triple H Booker T feud. Not quite I as problematic. Have right there, but. <laughs> You know, basically every fucking story of their top guys for the last 15 years or whatever has been like, oh, the authority doesn't want this guy as the champion. They want somebody else to be the champion because this guy isn't their guy and he's not a champion or whatever the fuck. Just but, tired of it. Yeah, but, but that also like Cody is presumably a baby face. So I don't see why he should be saying that the guy yeah. he's wrestling isn't isn't championship material. Very strange. All right. He, we uh, went in- You know, he, he, he vacillates from baby face pretty regularly. Uh, you know, and, and certainly has been the case over the last couple of weeks. This went into the second part of the Scorpio Sky video that started last week. He talks about how Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian were looking for a third guy for SCU for a while, made uh, Scorpio a little anxious to join the group because they'd been together so long, Daniels and Kaz, that is. He says the, the SCU thing didn't really hit until the BTE worst town ever bit got over. I'm not sure if that's true, but I'll, I'll go with it. For sure, I think it's true. Okay. Uh, I mean, Nate is our BTEologist, so I'll, I'll have to defer. Licensed. <laughs> uh, he said some people never get to wrestle on TV for the world title, but when it happened to him, he felt at home. So he's really trying to drive home this idea of like, I'm su- he is championship material. That's the point of this video. Uh, he says a lot of people in the locker room are just happy to be here, but I don't want to be good or great. I want to be a fucking legend. Great video. I think that this like two-parter, especially with, I feel like we talked a lot about, okay, it's clear that everyone sees Scorpio as like the single star coming out of this. I like that this was a strong video if that's their goal to have the addiction do their thing and then also have Scorpio Sky being the singles wrestler of the group. I think that that, this is a good way to accomplish that. I think this was a pretty successful uh, set of uh, video packages. It's also funny because Scorpio is only like five years younger than yeah, no, he, he he's not as young as people think. I mean, he was on PWG shows like back in like 2004. He does pass for younger than he is, though. Yeah, that, that's, that's true. true. That's true. Yeah. 
Like, I mean, he's shown up on like my DGUSA rewatch as being in Ring of Honor in 2010. So like he's been around for a while. We got two videos in a row. MJF was up next. He says, you know, thankfully he was able to rehab the hangnail injury that he had last week. He said his nail doctor said he'd never seen such a miraculous turnaround. The nail actually overhealed, and now it's the strongest nail in the world. Uh, but unfortunately, while he was trying to get ready for TV, he nicked his neck while shaving. He pulls off the uh, scarf and unveils a neck brace. And he says he's really bummed because he was looking forward to jumping on a German-fested plane to wrestle in front of six to seven of his peers. Kind of baby-facing himself there at the end, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's right. Um, yeah, this is this is like one of those Jacob Wool bits that doesn't quite land and nobody really buys into. It's like when he tries to, you know, he, he hires some schlub to pretend that he was uh, uh, preyed upon by Elizabeth Warren and she was a cougar and nobody bites because it's just obviously fucking dumb. Uh, yeah, this is like one of those Jacob Wool bits. Speaking of Bernie and canceling, we got to cancel Bernie. He's doing a town hall with Elizabeth Warren. 7 p.m. Yeah, I, I guess while this is happening. Well, that means none of us are going to be watching it, so... That's We're true. not canceled either. That's right. Good for us. Wardlow. It was Wardlow Day, folks, and he defeated Musa with the F10. Yeah, this was good as fuck. Yeah. Wardlow rules. <laughs> How can't you love Wardlow? Like it started off as like somewhat of a tongue-in-cheek thing, but now whenever I hear this is war, I just get psyched because I'm gonna know that someone's gonna get destroyed. Like What's there yeah. not to love about this? The knee looks sick. The F10 the looks sick. fantastic. Yeah. He has great facials. Like he is just like, what is there not to love about Wardlow? No, Wardlow rules. I'm I'm on the Wardlow train. I'm in. He's good. The squashes are good. I like squashes. I, uh, well, I'm going to complain about that later. So I'm not going <laughs> to sully the Wardlow segment with no. the other complaint that I have. No, I mean, we're not. Wardlow is a beautiful and powerful man. We are not going to sully him with any complaints. Wardlow, please come on the show. I would love, I I, I would love to talk to Wardlow. I, 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 I never want to hear Wardlow say fucking anything. I want zero opinions to ever uh, make themselves known to me from Wardlow. I hope he never does an interview in his life. That's fair. That's fair. I was going through, I was looking at something on YouTube the other day and I ended up looking at like the YouTube videos I've made, which are mostly uh, Aaron Taub and I from the uh, Everything Evolves uh, era. But one of them, so it's like I see all the screenshots, you know, or the, whatever. The, uh, what's it called? The uh, thumbnails. And it's like Aaron Taub, Aaron Taub, Aaron Taub, Jarek. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I did that interview with Jarek. What a world. Okay. Next is the Bubbly Bunch video, which we pretty much talked about. Except I thought Chris Jericho was trying to set up an actual match between the inner circle, maybe for like the first live show or whatever. But then I was like, oh, I guess that was, it was just the thing that he was doing. That was a right silly here. thing for you to think, in my opinion. Well, I think a lot of silly things, so. <laughs> Next up was another match we've already talked about. The Best Friends defeated Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian. Chuck pinned Havoc. Damn it. I meant to ask Mike what this. <laughs> the awful waffle. The awful waffle. That's been his finisher since the drop, man. I don't know any Jeez. move names. Oh, my God. None yeah. of them. Uh, Yikes. Very bothered by this now that I see this here. One one of the all-time great indie finishers. One of the few finishers in wrestling where when they're doing the move, everybody yells the name of the move. Like the 3D. Remember when they were set up for the 3D and the whole guy would go, 3D, 3D, 3D. 3D. 
It's yeah. the same effect with the awful waffle, but it's you know goofy ass Chuck Taylor, and he's got a guy up, and everybody goes waffle, 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 waffle. Oh, one thing we didn't bring up was when Orange Cassidy came back, he did like this weird dive onto Kip and Penelope for, and you they didn't get the edits right, and you could see Orange break just a little bit, laughing at how ridiculous it was. A little bit, he was cackling. He yeah, thought he- it was- he was like, oh, I fucked that up. He's like, that was dog shit, which I love the fact that, like, he, he, the, the, it's perfectly within the best friends Orange Cassie canon that if something, like, really fucks up, they're going to laugh at it. So it just added things to what I thought was the match of the night. Congratulations, uh, J- Jimmy Havoc. You are the wrestler of the week. Our, our friend on Twitter, at the Wizrad, pointed out that Orange uh, emerged from the back after initially being laid out at 9 p.m. on the dot. So they, they edited that out well, I suppose. Next up was a Britt Baker video. What a big turn for Britt for me. I was excited to see her pop up on the screen. The hit maker, Britt Baker. <laughs> uh, so uh, we meet her makeup artist, Reba, who it turns out her name is actually Rebel. Rebel from TNA back in the day. I think you even had a stardom tour. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, not gonna do the joke I had planned there. I have an idea. I just we should do a "This Is Rebel" episode. Oh, we should. Yes. yes. Well, wasn't she the one that was in the really bad match with uh, what's her name? Uh, no, Gummy Mandalion for sure. No, I was thinking about in TNA. There was like oh, one with Shelly like, Martinez. Yes, that match. We we had to review that match on. Might have been her. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was it. But yeah, no, I was happy to see Rebel. I thought Rebel was really funny in this. I love that Nate comes up with this is ideas that are all like joke ideas or like funny ideas, which honestly it turns out is probably the best way to do this. Cause if you're a Patreon subscriber and you're wondering why I haven't done one in a while, it's a lot of fucking work to come <laughs> back through somebody's complete career. I know that kind of stuff. Jesus. Is tough. Yeah. Right, I'm trying, I'm trying to make them more digestible. Like, Hey, if we do a rebel one, that's very quick. <laughs> Only, yeah. you know, maybe two or three matches of note. <laughs> we got to do, we got to do, this is Wardlow for sure. Oh, God, this is Wardlow. It's just going to be like 45 minutes of all three of us going, he rules, the F10 is sick, he needs people in the face, he's jacked, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Britt takes Rebel back aside and she says, look, I need you to call me doctor. And I think this is just more evidence that Britt Baker is not an actual dentist. As I suggested on the show a few weeks ago, uh, she has to remind people to call her doctor because she isn't one. You're you and the Rhodes with your very disparaging thoughts about Dr. Bitbreaker DMD's medical credentials are going to get us into hot water. The three of you need to shape up. Shape up. I, w- I, w- I will never shape up. Uh, Rebel comes back. She's taken the criticism from Brit very well. She puts over Brit big time. And Brit loved it. She was so happy with the second part of Rebel's interview. And this takes us to. Uh, rule number two of being a role model. And the rule is this. Not everyone can be a role model. She lays out, well, she has on her, her little pad four things that make you not a role model. It's glasses wearers, fat people, wannabes, snaggletooths. But she never actually talks about wannabes in the in the video. I'm not sure what happened with that. But for each of the other three, we get pictures of Tony Schiavone as, he, as she makes fun of him. Very sad for a friendship that was going so well. I mean, you have to think, if you're a real content head, EE content head, you have to think, looking back at Road 2, that this whole thing where 
Tony was talking to Brandy. It just yeah. it really upset Britt. That must be it. And that, you know what that must mean? We must have a episode of A Shot of Brandy with Tony Schiavone where Tony finds a new friend now. And now well, he's going to... Oh, he, I don't think so. I think Tony is heartbroken. He's upset. He's got to stay Brandy, away from Brandy. I think Brandy reaches out to Olive Branch and you get a very awkward episode where Britt Baker constantly is like henpecking him the entire time. I don't know. I don't see that. Well... I don't know. Tony's a pleaser. There's no doubt about that. You know, so he's not going to want Brandy mad at him either. But I just think this has been tough on him. He was getting really close with Britt. And, you know, he's just coming back into the wrestling business. I think it was good for him to to make some close friends. And I'm I'm worried about where this is going. I'm a little heartbroken for him. And I hope that he knows that we're here for him in his time of need. We are. That's true. I kind of want to stick up for Snaggletooths. Just because I think a Snaggletooth can be kind of cute, right? Like Mayu has a snaggle tooth, right? Yes, but it's, it's like a charm. Cute. It's a charm point of hers. Yeah, I mean, I would like to stick up for everybody in this list. Sure, yeah, I mean, glasses you know. people. I mean, come I can't on. talk about Mayu with reference to the other ones. So that's fair. No, who who's like a Joshi that wears glasses? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get. Uh, I'm, I'm sure s- there is some. I, I've, I've seen Saki Kashima wear glasses before. I've I've seen Yuki. Uh, uh, Kamiyu, I've seen Kamiyu definitely yeah. wear glasses on the TL. The the the, the greatest person in Twitter. Kamiyu. Well, you know, to be to be fair, Britt said you can't, you can only not wear glasses if you're not smart, and we know Kamiyu is very smart, so I think yeah, she that's right. so she's fair. Right, this was more people who are trying to pre- appear to be smart, right, by wearing glasses. That's like, a librarian. Maybe, that's, maybe that goes hand in hand with the wannabes thing. You're pretending yeah. to be smart. Right. Yeah. So maybe that's why they skipped that because they kind of had already had already covered it. So that makes sense. All right. Next up, Sean Spears defeated Baron Black, which led to one of the greatest tweets of all time from friend of the show, Stoya. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. <laughs> Great tweet. Uh, Sean wins with the sharpshooter. Uh, but the best part of this match was absolutely the, the pec flexing contest that broke out just before the match started. Here, okay. Here's the complaint I was thinking about during the Wardlow thing. So we get a Sean Spears squash on this. That's fine. How many of those have there been in the past few weeks, you know, on all these taped shows? At least once a week. Yeah. So here's my complaint. I've heard people say that it's not a legitimate gripe to be mad that there aren't women on these shows, that that's illegitimate because it was such a small group for the taping. Bullshit. You're telling me that Hikaru Shida, which we know who we know is at some of the tapings, couldn't have done these squashes instead of Sean fucking Spears? Or you're telling me that Britt Baker couldn't have done some squashes? You couldn't have had Penelope Ford in there working with somebody? I mean, they Anna were... Jay. Anna Jay and Danny Jordan were at the side of the ring throughout these whole tapings. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's insane to say that they could not have put more women's matches on these shows. They chose not to for whatever reason, and that's up to them, but it's uh, definitely a legitimate gripe. And like this... This was a decent squash match, but it didn't feel like it accomplished anything. Like Brody Lee versus Marco Stunt accomplished what it's out to accomplish. Wardlow definitely set out what it is meant to accomplish. Sean Spears had a pet complex and did a pretty crappy sharpshooter. That yeah, my guess is my guess is they wanted to establish the sharpshooter, maybe for him, is my only I will say, in defense of the squashes, it does a lot to sort of fix or at least address the issue of the win-loss records, right? Because this was a big thing that I was harping on forever is that 
the win loss records are stupid and they're, you know, obviously stupid. If you look at them in context with the ratings, et cetera, the rankings on a weekly basis, now that they've had time to get a bunch of squash masses out, everybody's win loss records looks a lot more logical. Just it's like, Oh, okay. Sean Spears has some wins now. Okay. I guess I understand why he's somewhat presented as someone to pay attention to. Um, you know, it doesn't help all the people that weren't on these shows, but it does, uh, you know, I guess that's my defense of squashes in general. Oh, squashes are good. I like squashes. I just would have done different squashes to mix up the talent a little more. I mean, we saw a lot of the same people over these shows. Next up was Taz's, I guess it was a weekly segment now. His video breaking down Lance Archer's blackout. I really appreciated how they did not have like any kind of like technique thing. And it's basically go, go from a pie down far. Boom. was basically what Taz said for this. And I thought that that was an excellent use of the segment. The segment was great. I love that. He said that Lance Archer could lift people as high as 10 feet in the air. Very funny. Very pro wrestling. I just love it. Next up was a video building the Marco Stunt Brody Lee match. Marco says, there's a lot of people who think I don't belong here. He says, but my teammates can't be here right now, so I'm going to step up and do what I have to do. Pretty good little babyface promo from Marco here. Led right into the, the match, Brody Lee defeating Marco Stunt with a sit-out powerbomb. I wondered at the time why he went to a different finish, but I guess Marco really is probably too small for him to hit the lariat on. <laughs> yeah. This was sick. Like the yeah. uh, boss man slam he did off the top of rope was brutal. And the chops were just thudding chops. And usually it's the louder ones that don't necessarily leave a mark. But Marco got got roughed up in this match. This this match ruled. I, 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 was, I guess I probably should have felt uncomfortable watching this. But I thought that this was a great squash match. Then we got the John Moxley video. We heard that Moxley would speak. And here he was. He said, only eight weeks ago, I won the world championship in a sea of fans. Hard to believe that that was eight weeks ago. I didn't check to make sure that was true, but I'm willing to believe it. Because he's thankful for a lot of things, but most of all, he's glad that AEW is live next week. So that was kind of the official announcement. He says he's going to get in his truck, bring his dogs, and some Metallica. What uh, if, you, if you were going on a road trip, Nate, what album would you have to take? Uh, well, the most consistent album I've found this year has been the most recent Vampire Weekend album, I think. That's the that's the most replayable album to me at this juncture. It's also good for a road trip because it's very long, but has a higher hit rate, you know, so you can really sink your teeth into it for a good period of time. Would not be Metallica. Mike, what album would you have to take on your road trip? Like... Him taking Metallica, there's a lot of questions there. I mean, is he listening to Lulu? Like that's a that that'd be something I could see uh, John Moxley is really really uh, big into. I don't know. I've recently been listening back through a lot of Boris and a lot of American Football, two completely different bands that kind of work in their same thing. Or what's it called? I forgot this. There's this uh, city pop guy I've been listening to a lot lately that is very poppy and it's very like happy driving music like that like nape saying vampire weekend like vampire weekend feels like a big driving around town like band so it makes perfect sense to you uh, i'm gonna have to look up what this guy's name is because i'm blanking on it I mike buddy you gotta pick one album all right I, i'm bringing uh I, i'm bringing boris with me i'm bringing the latest boris album with me 
Never even heard of that. Japanese drone metal. <laughs> <laughs> Japanese drone metal. There it is. Duh. Sorry. Duh. Aaron. What album am I gonna t- am I gonna take? I'll probably stay on brand. Wait, wait, when is the is the is the road trip this week or next week? That's the real question. Next week, right? If I can take the road trip after May 8th, uh, I'll bring the newest Jason Isbell album, which comes out on May 8th. Reunions. I think that's think it's well, I guess you'd be driving before the eighth, maybe. For the next yeah. dynamite. So that's unfortunate. Uh, but I, obviously he's got a new album coming out, so I've been listening to it a lot lately. So I'll take uh, I'll just take the most recent Jason Isbell album, The Nashville Sound. The bad part about that, pretty short album. It's only 12 songs. So you're making a good point there, Nate, that you know a longer album is probably helpful. Uh, but, you know, just have to take what I have here. Obviously, I would take a bunch of very long playlists instead of just one album. I mean, Jesus, Moxley, don't you have Spotify, buddy? Right. What the fuck? You got the money. Pay for that premium and unlimited data. That's right. Uh, Mox also takes his time to remind everyone that Double or Nothing is coming up in about three weeks. And he gives some advice about uh, the pandemic, including reminding everyone to call their grandmother. So Mox really like, I I read an interview with him the other day and he was talking about the Shota Umino, Umino thing and how he was like trying to be very serious in New Japan but he just couldn't resist like making jokes about Shota and calling him shooter and like fucking with him <laughs> because he's good at it. Right. Yeah. So, and obviously he was trying to get away from like the WWE, like goofy shit. And so uh, this, I thought leaned a little more to the bad side of Mox goofiness. Huh. Disagree. But, I thought this was the best this hilarious. He's done to blend those that he's done in AEW. I think, uh, you know, you got the sense that he was, you know, a uh, 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 tough, down-to-earth, you know, kind of scrapper guy, but he's let some of his charisma and personality and charm shine through with those with those other lines. I thought I thought it was strong in that regard. I think like the way he delivered the promo, saying like anyone who's taking on me is like set, like you're you're putting your life at risk to do so. It's like he was doing like the heavy lines and then having him say and remember to call your grandmother at the end of it and it cutting to black right there. I think that that is such a dissonance that it was really funny. I also like him him shouting out Renee. He's a big wife guy, you know. I mean, I, I that's the thing that I've learned most about him in this uh, in the sequester at home is that. John Moxley, big wife guy. And that's something that happens in interviews, and that's something that happens on TV. So I'm glad to hear it. After this was just the main event, Lance Archer defeating Dustin Rhodes with the motherfucking claw, but he pinned him with it. All right, that was Dynamite for this week. Uh, you know, if you're a big fan, we'd really appreciate it if you check out patreon.com slash everything elite. We've got a new thing coming up for our patrons this month. We're going to launch a Discord, but... I just want to warn everybody until you, if you just run out to sign up because you want to get in the, the everything elite discord, we're primarily going to use it to chat during AW shows. So I'll probably be in there during dark. I'll be in there during dynamite, double or nothing. Those sort of things will be in there hanging out. Don't plan on just like being in there all day, every day, but uh, would love to interact more with our patrons. So I will, we'll be putting a link uh, in that on May 1 we putting that link up on the Patreon. So check yeah. that out. And it's going to be just patrons only. 
So it's not going to be like, not, not like riffraff. It's a lot of, it's kind of like community as well. So don't like be coming in there thinking that it's, it's going to be like trolling and things like this is just people who like the shows. will talk about the stuff and be there during the, uh, during the live shows and talk there. So, yeah. Yeah. Should be fun. So we're going to have that set up. Uh, other stuff for the Patreon, like I said, it's a good time to sign up because you're hearing this most likely at the 1st of May. So sign up, get a full month. Uh, last week, we did a really well-received episode with uh, Maxwell RBR, Twitter's own Maxwell, talking about booking. Uh, next week, the, the first episode of May is going to be an episode of The Pod Beyond, our War Games series. And we got some fucking heavy hitters, baby. Aaron Taub joined us and TJ Hawk joined us. We're talking about, what was it? 90, uh, Wrestle, no, not Wrestle War. Something from 94. Fall it, Brawl 94. Fall Brawl 94. And then Steel Cage Warfare from Ring of Honor in 2005 between the Embassy and Generation Next. And basically the show becomes uh, <laughs> the disgusting New Yorkers against the good Southern boys. It, it, it's a real North-South clash. It is. And buddy, this time the good guys win. Let me put it that way. <laughs> didn't the good guys won the first time they did but the good guys won again but this time it was <laughs> positions swapped okay all right uh a lot of good stuff this month double or nothing instant reaction we're gonna do something looking back at last year's double or nothing show but we haven't figured out exactly how we're gonna do that yet but we will be doing it my smoky mountain wrestling series is going to start uh so there's a lot on the patreon this month check it out patreon.com slash everything elite. Uh, the Discord, I think, is probably just going to be for, for $5 and $8 patrons, not the, the $3 patrons. Uh, but there's plenty of stuff at every level for you to enjoy. So check it out. Next week, it'll be from an undisclosed location again. I assume they're going back to Jacksonville. I assume they'll be at Daly's Place, right? It seems to be Jacksonville. So, yeah. yeah. The matches that we know... They announced on the show, Kenny Omega and Matt Hardy will take on Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara in a street fight. They are really loading this show up with, with people. Uh, John Moxley is going to take on Frankie Kazarian, and Cody Rhodes will take on Joey Janela. So this is Hardy's real first match. So that's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Smart, I guess, to put him in a, a plunder type match instead of just a normal match. And I guess there's, even though we don't think that there's really a difference between having live empty arenas and taped empty arenas, but there's the idea that I guess having him have his first match live is a better thing, I guess. I don't think so, but yeah. Would be better in front of a crowd. Well, yeah, I mean, like that's the one, uh, that, that's the one variable we can't necessarily change here, AB. We can change if it's live or on tape. That's going to matter. I somehow on this show started by saying I only had two to three good friends and pissing off the rest of my friends and ended it by implying that the South should have won the Civil War. <laughs> this has been a... Oh, wait, and I did the, and I did the problematic uh, stuff in yeah. the middle of the show. Fuck. Man. Okay. Let me be clear about a few things. <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we need to address some things at the end of the show this week. Let me address a few things. Well, we're calling Aaron in right now. One first... I have more than two to three very good friends who I cherish in my life. They know who they are. Uh, second, I disavow any sort of things, sounds that I made that appeared to be uh, cultural appropriations of any sort. I disavow myself for that. 
Lastly, uh, I'm glad the North won the Civil War. I think that's clear. Uh, I wrote an article about this, if you want to go read it, on BOW about Tracy Smothers. Oh, oh, oh so when I do plugs, I, I get shit. <laughs> but when you're using a plug as an apology, I see how this is. We didn't Somebody gave you shit? <laughs> Nate Everything. literally gave you an opportunity to do the plug. Okay, that's fair. Uh, so... <laughs> I do think like the South generally is a good place. I enjoy the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I like being from and in the South. Uh, but yeah, I want to dis- I want to disavow any implication. Let's just disavow the whole episode. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. Is, episode sixty nine was such a good episode. Episode <laughs> seventy, we've been straight in the gutter. Yeah, well, it's really it was just me. It was me. Really so. fucked up not going back to the incest well. <laughs> I, I mean we'll have to we'll have to see what the guys decide i may be banned i may have to take a suspension from next week's episode uh, although i happen to know from uh recording patreon content that neither of them likes to lead shows so they probably are not going to want to be without me <laughs> if i had to guess <laughs> i i mean if we're gonna talk about incest content i did like when i was like flipping through I forgot what it was. It was like on Instagram. Somehow, I don't know how my phone's listening. I got like an Somehow. ad. I got an ad for the Property <laughs> Brothers video game. Oh, there you go. And it really disturbs me that the fact that my phone was listening in to us recording and, and knew the mention of the Property Brothers meant that they should pop that up there. So just, just, just a follow-up. It's also weird. Speaking of people listening, it's also weird that we did those uh, those jokes last week. And this week, the WWE unveils a stepbrother, stepsister angle in the main event of NXT. Very strange. Did they? Like, what's this? Yeah, I mean, that's the point of the Johnny Gargano, Candice LeRae story, right? Is that their uh, I, stepbrother I, I, and stepsister? I, yeah. thought it was, I thought it was that now mommy's eating first. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was a mommy-son thing. Yeah, and it's <laughs> stepmom. Yeah, stepson. <laughs> sorry, I, I don't watch the product. I'm sorry, I, I, I misunderstood the I, angle. I, I did watch like that dinner scene that the whole I eat first thing came in, and it, I know that because of everything, trying to have everything like shot on a certain way is hard to do. But it was one of like the the five most excruciating minutes of my life. It was like the worst of Johnny Gargano's tendencies, Candice LeRae trying to be a heel, and like weird like. After effects and like auto distortion, they decided to do, and it took forever to eat a fucking piece of chicken. It was driving me wild. It was like five minutes, and they only took one bite of chicken. It drove me insane, AB. I did not watch it. It looked painful to me, so I avoided it with all my might. All right. Well, I don't think there's much else to talk about from AW this week, and I frankly, I'm afraid that if we go on any longer, I will say something else fucked up. So I'm just gonna <laughs> gonna stop now. We love you, Aaron. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, well, that's the show for this week. Make sure you're following us at Everything AEW. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Nate is at Epitasis. I went viral this week, folks, so you're going to want to be following me for sure. Uh, Mike is at Fuji Heya. Mike did a great. I haven't listened to it, but I'm sure it's great. <laughs> okay, it was good. It was good. Definitely check it out. Oh wow, Nate's really stabbing me in the back here. Well, well Nate, well Nate heard me uh, saying standing up for you know one yeah. of my many many good friends. <laughs> A rich friendship that he heard that I said that hey within the fu- within the first five minutes there's talks of exorcisms and Nate was like I want to hear what this is about. Had to get the exorcism action. Uh, Jay just loves burying people, which is very 
funny. You know, he's not actually burying people. But no, no. Yeah, you know, there was a uh, pack tried to make an ace last year in Dragon Gate. Didn't seem to really take. Uh, and Jay had some funny takes on that. So, yeah, check it out. Even oh, entertaining if you're not, uh, you know, someone who's particularly keeping up on Dragon Gate. Jay goes in on pack. No. No, I'm Benkei. Oh, okay. I don't know what that means. So, but anyway, go listen to Mike's <laughs> podcast. I guess, fuck, I guess I'm going to listen to it. So Nate's uh, throwing me under the bus. So I'll check it out. Uh, subscribe you to the gotta, podcast. You got to stop standing in front of the bus, man, because you're just I making know. it unavoidable. I can't, I, know. I can't do anything about it. It's, uh, this has been a brutal episode for me, really. The, the, I came in, uh, last week I was not feeling very well when we started. I came in feeling pretty good this episode, but by the end, man, there's just not much of me left. Uh, Aaron, to be fair, what happened was you did the trolley problem, but instead of one in five people, it was one in five versions of you, and you keep on just hitting yourself, buddy. Yeah, it's uh, it's brutal. It's been very bad for me. But I hope, if nothing else, that people can uh, laugh at my misery on this on this episode. That's it. I'm not saying anything else. For Mike, for Nate, they may not want me to be for either of them. I'm Aaron. We'll see you next week. I can't-